0: and welcome to part one of the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It Sky. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. In this special series of podcasts, Scott and I, along with a special guest, will be watching and reviewing all ten theatric- theatrically released live-action Star Wars films in the lead-up to Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Scott, before we introduce our guests, how are you doing, and are you excited about this new series? Um, I'm doing great, Scott.
1: It's been a long time since I sat down and, and re-watched some of these pre-sequel trilogy movies. That's a weird thing to say. Uh, but the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, it's been a while since I've seen them, and excited to have a formal setting to watch them, I think, one, with a new lens, but two, also just think about them in a new way, since I think I watch movies a little bit more seriously than I did back in high school, which is when I first... Uh, where I think probably the last time I sat down and watched all like all six of the prequel and the original trilogy. So I think it's gonna be really fun to sit here and re-experience these movies, put them right next to the new movies, the you know the most recent four movies that have come out, and then kind of talk about them, uh, one by one, rank them, and so really excited about it.
0: Yes, yeah, you know, I'm especially interested to watch them in the order that we're going to watch them in, especially we're doing chronological order, at least for the first six movies, uh, because I'm not sure that I've ever really watched them in that order. I mean, obviously, we grew up uh, at the time when the prequels were coming out and uh, went to see those in theaters. And so I think um, I pro- those were probably the first. I, I Honestly, some of those were probably the first ones I watched. I don't know if – if I don't even remember if I watched, like, the, the first – the original trilogy first. Uh, but I've never – definitely – de- I've definitely never sat down and watched all six of them chronologically like this in a fairly limited amount of time. So I'm interested to see just how the story flows from movie to movie. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to. But, you know, Scott. Yeah. Well, no. So I'm curious. Did you see episodes one and two in theater? Because, I mean, 1999 – yeah, you're going to you're going to the movies early. I did. Uh, I did see episode one in theaters. I don't remember anything about the experience. I do remember seeing episode two in theaters. Obviously, I was a little bit older then. Um, but I've been going to see all of these movies with my dad in theaters ever since uh, the Phantom Menace. Except I think we saw Rogue One together. So I think that was the we first. did. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. All right. Well, Scott, I promised a guest. Um, and it's time to introduce him now. Uh, you may know him from our Marvel Countdown podcast or our recent MCU retrospective episode, and we've asked him to join us for this series because somehow, way, he has never seen a Star Wars film. So, Jay Habib, welcome to the podcast. Is there any way you can explain to us how it has taken you this long to travel to a galaxy far, far away?
2: Hey, Scott, and hey, Scott. Um, I don't have a good answer to that. I've been racking my brain trying to come up with one, and somehow despite being tapped into, I feel like, a very healthy amount of pop culture. I somehow just have this gap uh, in that knowledge, but excited to fill that in with the two of you uh, and get your opinions as I travel to a galaxy far, far away.
0: I will say that you're in good company, because I was reading an article today about uh, how Margot Robbie has also never watched a Star Wars movie, and apparently uh, it was talking about how she is like basically blatantly refusing to watch them now because it infuriates people so much when they find out that she's never seen a star Wars movie. So it's basically become a bit. And Scott, we've talked about that before with certain movies that we haven't seen. How uh, I I think the one for me would be Forrest Gump, but there's probably one or two for you as well that uh, the more people tell us we need to see it, the less we actually want to watch it. (laughs) Okay, guys, without further ado, then it is time to begin the countdown. And we've decided to do things, as I said, primarily in chronological order, Uh, We will be starting off with Episodes 1 through 6, followed by the Star Wars stories, Rogue One and Solo, and finally, Episodes 7 and 8. So that means today we will be weighing in on 1999 Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, the beginning of the so-called prequel trilogy. In The Phantom Menace, the Galactic Republic is locked in tense trade negotiations with the Evil Trade Federation and their Chancellor, Newt Gunray. When Jedi's Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, attempt to settle the dispute, they are instead attacked by the Federation's droid army and war breaks out on Naboo. Meanwhile, a mechanical failure forces Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to search for replacement parts on the remote desert planet of Tatooine, where they meet nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker, played by Jake Lloyd, a young pilot who Qui-Gon senses is destined for greatness, possibly even as the Chosen One who will bring balance to the Force. But in addition to the droid army, the Jedi also have to contend with a powerful new Sith Lord called Darth Maul, who's played by Ray Park and voiced by Peter Serafinowitz, as they seek to protect the Republic and Queen Amidala of Naboo. Oh yeah, and Gungans. There are also Gungans. Uh, but before we get into our review of this movie, I want to go to you again, Jay, because I'm really curious to know what if anything you knew about the Phantom Menace and how it is generally regarded in the Star Wars community prior to watching this movie today.
2: I came into it pretty much a clean slate actually. I, you know, positive or negative, I had no positive or negative feedback on the film itself where it sits among the others. I the only thing I really knew about the Star Wars universe going into this whole series and specifically this movie are just the name of some major characters, not necessarily even how they, you know, how their futures play out or anything like that. So in, in short, almost nothing other than there are characters with the name Obi-Wan and Yoda and Qui-Gon and so on.
0: That's crazy to me. But uh, with that in mind, I want to uh, then uh, go to you again and get then your high level general impressions uh, on this film specifically.
2: I, I want to preface this by saying to you guys and also any Star Wars fans, that I'm also avoiding reading critiques, like no Rotten Tomatoes, no IMDb, nothing until we finish this or until we at least talk about it here, because I'm trying really hard to maintain the you know no influence, clean slate. So with with that in mind, and again reaffirming that I've had nothing sway me, we we didn't think that was a great movie, right?
0: Oh boy, here we go already.
2: <laughs> no, no,
0: okay. Oh man. Well. It- hash out your thoughts yeah
2: okay um it so again as my as this was my first star wars movie i felt like there was so much to take in it was so cool i'm like okay here's this person here's this person here's how they're going to interact okay now i have a face to that name and this person and it was a lot like it was a lot of world building for me but it i don't i, I feel like it just paced very weirdly i feel like there was a lot of exposition and i don't know i i found it kind of clunky and awkward like I, I felt like it was just really boring at times
0: yeah um okay well scott let's go to you then your uh, your high level impressions before i weigh in yeah so uh, overall
1: i think the phantom menace is it, it's so interesting to for this to be uh, the introductory to the series right like i think yeah. that if you i'm trying to talk about this in a way that doesn't like bring in other other movies that in terms of production came before it, but chronologically are set after it. I I think that it's an, it's a weird introduction because so like simply put, like it it introduces you to a very narrow part of the universe, right? Like what you get is you, you've learned that there are Jedis. You've learned that there are Sith and you've learned that there's this dispute between, uh, I guess what, like the trade federation and and some like some factions within the, the Galactic Senate it, it's all I think it alludes to so much without like I guess uh, I mean Jay you talk about world building I think that what this movie does is is world building but it, it give it leaves you wanting more and not necessarily a, a good way in some respects and so it tries to tell this really tight story in terms of it it the scope of the story within the larger universe, whereas, like, everyone who sees this movie, even if you're UJ and you haven't seen a single other movie in this franchise, knows that the Star Wars universe is, like, huge, right? And you maybe have certain expectations going into this movie that you don't get. In terms of the actual movie itself, I think that it <laughs> it's so it to me with George, like what George Lucas wanted to do with this particular movie because uh, I believe he directed all three of the prequel trilogy, uh, not the case for the original trilogy. But uh, yeah, so yes. you know what, I think what he wanted to do was really flesh out parts of this world that were left untouched for the most part or unexplained in the original trilogy, right? And so he introduces you to some familiar characters and some new characters in this one. You know, for the purposes of our chronological order, he's introducing you to all new characters, and I think by that nature. Some of the characters that you might be introduced to for the first time, if you've never seen any other Star Wars movies before, you know, most of the people who watch this movie have seen them before. And I think that in some cases, some of the development of, of the quote unquote returning characters from the production angle is leave something to be desired. Right. Like Obi-Wan all these other jedi that you know about even to the point of anakin as well like he's a kid right completely and obi-wan is much younger and i mean yoda is rough i mean more or less the same because he's yoda but i i think that all these character developments it, it just it's a little bit lacking in some departments uh, some of the new characters that you get added in—I mean, you mentioned the Gungans with a little bit of uh, sarcasm and and uh, distaste. I think is a fair wa- way to describe it when your interest, Scott. And I think that's about right because one of the things that I wondered coming into this movie is will will the Gungans, particularly Jar Jar, be as bad as I remembered? And he isn't. And I I'm sitting firmly in the camp of he is exactly as as bad as I remember him to be. He it's just such a caricature of whatever he was going for. It just feels like such an extreme as for the plot development. I think that there are, if you're actually just taking away everything and looking at the story, I think it's fine, right? It's like fine, but not great. Uh, And I think the standout for me would have to be the pod racing sequence, which if the pod racing sequence is the Santa in the star Wars movie, maybe the movie hasn't quite fired on all cylinders.
0: Well, yeah. So, I mean, here's what I'll say. I don't think this movie is great either, but I don't think it is anything near the abomination that many have claimed it uh, is. And Jay, I guess to to come out and and spoil it for you, I think probably it's the majority of Star Wars fans would say that this is their least favorite Star Wars movie. But I also think that a lot of that has to do with the hype that went into this movie because it was 16 years since the last Star Wars movie had come out. People were unbelievably excited uh, about this movie. Um, and I think it was just the disappointment uh, has it has what has co- is what has colored many of uh, people's reviews of this movie over the years. Because I do think that for me this is the best one of the prequel trilogy. Um, and I th- I would say that it is a good movie, not a great movie, but a good movie. And I think it is interesting to look at it from the perspective of someone who is watching their first Star Wars movie because I don't know honestly how. Successful, this movie is at setting things up for people who are just getting into the Star Wars, you know, canon with this movie. And you know, I'll never know that because obviously I've seen all the movies many times. Um, and so, I can definitely, definitely though, I can look back on the movie and say that there are some elements to the story and the whole political aspect behind it. And you know, even the way that they set up certain characters that. Um, it's probably not going to have the same effect on you if you haven't seen a star Wars movie. And, you know, it may even be a little bit confusing um, because I think there are some, there are probably some moments where uh, George Lucas is assuming that, Oh, you know, you know who this character is, you know, the significance of this person um, or, you know, you know that this certain event is coming Uh, and maybe we, as much as the movie does have a lot of exposition, maybe there's, there could have been more in certain places, uh, just because, um, you know, it, there is a little bit of a learning curve for people who haven't seen a Star Wars movie before. But I do, I would say that the exp
1: like the exposition just needs to be better. We don't need more of it. It just needs to be more effective at bringing people into the universe, you know, regardless of whether they're new to it or whether it's been 16 years since they've seen a Star Wars movie. I think it's fair to say that all parties involved couldn't be hurt. And it is possible to do, in my opinion, have like effective exposition to introduce you to a universe and drop you in in a way that's not as overwhelming and better pulls you in and doesn't make you feel like you're just missing something.
0: Yeah, no, I I mean, and I agree with that. But I do think on the whole that I do lo- like the majority of this movie a good amount. Uh, You know, you mentioned the pod racing sequence, definitely a highlight. I think really the entire Tatooine section is something that uh is appealing to me. I think that the way that they set up the Anakin Skywalker storyline is really good. And, you know, the, the way that we get introduced to Anakin and, uh, you know, are, are, are hinted at what he may become as a Jedi. I think it's an effective sort of origin story for Anakin. Unfortunately, they really sort of bottled his, uh, the next two parts of his story in the next couple movies. Um, but I won't say more about that until we get to those. Um, but I do think that, um, that section is really strong to me. Um, and I really love, of course, the the ending battle sequence as well. I think um, what goes on with Anakin flying the plane is great. And also the lightsaber battle between um, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul is fantastic. Um, the The whole setting of it on these platforms, and we'll talk about it in a little more detail, uh, in addition to the fact that Darth Maul is just a really cool-looking villain, um, I think adds up for a very memorable Battle scene that does have uh, an emotional sting at the end, um, and I think that's because the the characters of Qui Gon and Obi Wan are pretty compelling characters and some of the most compelling Jedi characters that we get in the Star Wars universe. And again, we'll talk probably a little bit more about why they are so um, compelling. But I do think their dynamic is one of the better master apprentice dynamics that we get to see in the Star Wars universe. So I really appreciated that. It's a shame that Qui Gon, of course bites the bullet at the end, because I think he is a really good character and is well played by Liam Neeson. Um, but on the whole, I think that the things which people don't like about this movie, um, you know, Jar Jar obviously takes a lot of the brunt of the criticism. And I think that that's probably fair. He's not a great character at all. He's, he's pretty annoying, but it doesn't derail the whole movie for me. And I think that a lot of the criticisms of this movie, while warranted to some degree are probably, uh, over-exaggerated by a lot of people because of the disappointment that they felt when watching this movie and really the whole experience that they probably had of seeing this movie in theaters for the first time after anticipating it for so long. And so that's kind of my take on it. Um, I Again, I think it's the strongest of the prequels. I do like the movie, but I don't think it's a great movie. Yeah, just to quickly jump in on that point though, I think the thing with Jar Jar and to give maybe like a more measured
1: response, like to me, it feels like Jar Jar is a character who like was not included in the original script was not in like, was not included in the original intentions or plans or even shooting of the movie. And then George, like someone or George Lucas just had a random idea. And he's like, you know what, maybe this movie is too serious. We need a, like a comic relief character. And then he writes in this like awful character for, for the rest of the movie, trying to create some comic relief. And I think if, I think it just throws off the balance of a lot of these scenes. Cause I would say maybe 10% of the humor works for me with Jar Jar. That, I mean, that, that's just me personally, but like that's the feel because he feels so out of place in the movie and mostly unnecessary.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I agree that the comic relief doesn't really land, but he does serve the plot, I think, in ways that are not insignificant. I mean, you know, he gets them to that uh, to the Gungan world at the beginning. and But he didn't need to keep, stay with them. Yeah, that's true. But I think that, Still, he serves as sort of their connection to the Gungan army throughout the movie, which, of course, is necessary in the final battle sequence um, and, and, you know, with the Naboo. But yeah.
1: I just think the alliance between, you know, Padme and the Gungans could have, like they didn't need Jar Jar to form that alliance I, again. Like that's a quibble that maybe it's not worth just going back and forth about. But I do think that he's as bad as they say he is.
0: Jay, what were your thoughts on Jar Jar?
2: Oh, my God. Um, did not like him or hit at <laughs> all i'm sorry um i think no I'm- you don't need to
0: apologize i don't think any of us liked him
1: because <laughs> the thing is i don't think jar jar ruins the movie i just think he ruins a lot of the scenes that he's in and he's in too many scenes yeah
2: i think that's a fair fair way to characterize it. i definitely had moments where i was like how is like how are you still talking
0: i'm sure jar jar wonders that as well and i think you know wisely they did they do face him out over the next couple of movies that is one of the things that i think that makes the second movies a little bit strong. Uh, but not overall that strong. But yeah, Jar Jar's not great, but um, why don't we focus on something a little bit more positive and talk about some of the performances in this movie. Uh, Jay, I'll start with you again. Who are some of the standout performances, if any, in this movie? Uh, obviously, we have a big cast. I've mentioned a lot of the names, but you know, you, you get Natalie Portman in there as well uh, and a few other notable names. Who, who stood out to you?
2: Sure. I thought Natalie Portman was really cool to see. I'd never seen her in anything from quite as long ago seeing her you know younger but also like pretty powerfully playing the role of Queen Amidala was pretty cool to me I also like you pointed out really thought that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's uh you know master apprentice relationship was really you know well played so you know shout out to Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor for that um, I, I would probably I mean, that, you know, maybe feels like the simple answer, but I, I really did enjoy those three big performances. I didn't even, I mean, I also like Jake Lloyd as Anakin Skywalker. So I, I realize I've named all the protagonists at this point, but I actually did think that, you know, they all played their parts like pretty well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like the dynamic between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan for sure. I think that Qui-Gon, really, he really is like for, although this movie lacks a lot in the writing department, I think he really is set up pretty well for a character that unfortunately is only in one movie and dies at the end of this movie. Um, you know, his whole dynamic of taking in strays, um, of course, is a theme throughout the movie and, um, you know, comes into play, obviously, when he meets Anakin for the first time. Uh, but his stubbornness and saying, no, I sense something with this kid. You know, there's something that's a little bit different here. Um, takes them down a little bit of a rabbit hole when they're on Tatooine. uh, And maybe everyone else doesn't really understand why he's doing what he's doing, but uh, ultimately, you know, he believes that it will pay off. And, you know, he is right uh, about Anakin's future that he will become a Jedi. So um, I think that uh, I, I really do like the character and I think it is an emotional moment at the end when he dies. And I also do like Ewan McGregor's performance as well. I think what we see with other Jedi apprentices in the future movies is that they're a little bit whiny and insolent. And, you know, there's a lot that they still have to learn. And I don't think that that's the way that Ewan McGregor plays this character. And I think that that's right. Uh, because the way that, you know, when the movie picks up, he's been a Jedi for a little bit. Um, you know, he's been around the block. He knows, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of What it takes to be a Jedi to some degree, he is still learning a little bit from Qui Gon, but there's not a whole lot he has to learn, and I think that that's important because, of course, at the end of the movie, we do have to believe that uh, you know he's ready to take over the mantle of master and train Anakin, and you know I think I did believe that. So those performances are the strongest for me. Scott, what about you?
1: Yeah, I think that I think Liam Neeson's performance is good as Qui Gon. I love seeing him in roles that. Aren't the, you know, for when I say modern day, I'm of course, talking about his, you know, the past, you know, basically since Taken, right? Every role feels like the same for him. And it's it's refreshing to, to revisit this movie and see him in what you can see some comparisons to those more recent roles, but still feels a little bit more unique and fresh than something that you get, or that I saw, for example, earlier this year when I watched Cold Pursuit, which just felt like the the same Liam Neeson I've seen for the past decade. And so to see that was really refreshing. And I think that this character, and one of the things that I appreciate so much about Qui-Gon is that he's a subversive Jedi character that you just don't get throughout the rest of the series. Like I, there's no one that immediately pops to my mind. If you know, Scott jump in, if you feel like someone else reminds you of Qui-Gon, but I just don't think there's another there's another character in the, you know, the entire star Wars universe that we've been exposed to on screen so far that that is as fresh and subversive and, and and in in a particular way as interesting as, as Qui-Gon. And so from that respect, I think I agree with both of you that it was sad to, it's always sad to see his character die at the end of, at the end of the movie, towards the end of the movie. That being said, I don't imagine Liam Neeson probably wanted to be tied down to doing three movies, which is probably part of it. But also, I think it's a really important thing for Obi-Wan's character and obviously a character we're going to talk about for several movies to come here, because ultimately I think Ewan McGregor, for me, is the standout performance in this movie. I think that he's, he, again, Jay, you haven't seen you know A New Hope where Alec Guinness plays Uh, Obi-Wan and where that character was originally introduced for those, you know, watching and from the production timeline perspective. But I think that he creates a very believable version of young Obi-Wan who, to your point exactly, Scott is knowledgeable. Doesn't like, seems like he's on the precipice of becoming a Jedi Knight, right? Yes. He's a Padawan, uh, but he is there. And of course they talk about that over the course of the film with him about to do his, you know, is he ready to do his Jedi trials? Etc. Uh, Etc. Cetera, et cetera. And I think that's refreshing because again, you don't really come across another Jedi in the rest of the series at the level that you and that uh, that Obi Wan is at at this point in this movie. And I think that when you have those two characters who I think are very unique, both in uh, their characters in the universe, but also in the time and place that they're in with their narrative arc. I think it creates the potential for something great. And I think these two actors really uh, make the most of that potential too. And that's something that's really refreshing.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And I, I'll i also highlight Jake Lloyd because I didn't mention him before. But I do think he does a good job as Anakin here. I think that he's just the right amount of precocious for this character. Uh, and I don't think he really verges into the annoying uh, at any point. I think he he, he walks the, the right line between being, you know, a little bit older and wiser for his age, because of course, you know, he has seen a lot, uh, as a slave on, on Tatooine. Um, and he's had to, you know, learn a lot, fend for himself to a certain extent because, uh, he doesn't have a father. Um, but I think that, um, he also still walks that line of he's a kid as well. And, you know, we see that when he's driving his pod and the yippies that everyone uh, seems to criticize about this movie. Um, One of the one of the things that people like to pick on is his yippies. Um, But I think that that's just part of, uh, you know, tapping into that child uh, like side of the character, which is obviously still there since he is nine years old.
1: Yes, I I don't think it's fair to criticize that, but it is goofy. Right. And that's kind of what you would expect.
0: But every one of the Star Wars movies has goofy moments. <laughs> no, it's all super serious, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to some of the action sequences because I think this movie has some of my favorites in the whole Star Wars um, universe. We talked about the, we mentioned the pod race and the uh, the final battle. Uh, of course, we have an action sequence at the beginning as well. Um, Jay, what stood out for you in some of these uh, big set pieces that, of course, are are some of the hallmarks of the Star Wars franchise?
2: Sure. To me, I think the final battle stood out more to me than the pod race, which might be crazy um, based on how much I've heard you guys uh, praise the pod race so far. Um, But I really liked the final battle, you know, the just watching them, you know, kind of navigate those like barriers between the rooms and then, you know, the fight around that like, you know, drop off well type thing. Um, You know, and obviously, you know, with the impact of seeing Liam Neeson's character get killed, like all that, you know, I, I felt like was really well done. And like you said, Darth Maul is a pretty terrifying looking villain. Um, I think you were the word used is cool, but I'll go as far as to say terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that stood out to me the most. I also thought the pod race sequence was pretty cool. It was, you know, it, almost, like it felt a little bit silly. Again, I'm watching, you know, what, a, a nine year old or I mean, I, I forget his age, forgive me, but you know, a, a child essentially like, you know, go into this like, street race type thing. And in my head, I'm, you know, laughing a little bit, like making these Fast and Furious jokes to myself. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, just super, super cool. And again, do not mean to drag this movie down by comparing it to the Fast and Furious franchise. But, you know, just for the, you know, comparison insofar as, you know, the, the epic race sequences. It was, uh, it was pretty cool to see, you know, little kid Anakin just barrel his way back from a rough start.
0: Yeah, poor Ben Quadraneros here playing really the role of the guy whose, uh, you know, car just craps out at the beginning of the race. Uh, and, and of course, it's his pod here, but uh, just completely taken out of co- commission at the start of the race. You got to feel for the guy. But yeah, I really do like the, uh, the final battle sequence for the reasons that you're talking about. I think, you know, it would have been cool in general to see these characters face off against Darth Maul because of the whole look of this villain, and of course his double-sided lightsaber, which is difficult to navigate even for two Jedi's. But I think they didn't stop there, which is uh, wise, and they put it in a real cool, really cool setting inside this like sort of hangar bay. Um, and you know, we have the whole sequence with uh, the the shields that come up that um, you know blocking the them from each other. Which I think there's some good suspense there as they're just you know sitting there waiting for the shields to go down so they can uh, continue their battle. And then, yeah, I find, I do find that last, the last strike that Obi-Wan lands on Darth Maul to be, just to be really satisfying in some way, the way that he, you know, pulls himself up, you know, grabs the lightsaber using the force and just cuts uh, Darth Maul down is, is pretty satisfying. Cause of course it is at a moment when it looks like Obi-Wan's a goner as well as um, Qui-Gon. So that's a really great uh, sequence and a very creative way to stage a traditional lightsaber battle. Uh, Scott, do you want to say more about the pod race or any other action sequences?
1: Yeah, you know, I think about the pod race. It, it isn't surprising to me at all, Jay, that that you are less enamored with the pod race than uh, than Scott or me. I think that for someone coming new to the franchise, hasn't seen a movie, and is probably you know excited to finally see a big lightsaber duel, right? that's going to be what you're looking forward to and what you're, you're excited to get to throughout the course of the film to the point where in some ways, especially since I think that this is one of the better uh, sa- like climactic lightsaber duels in the franchise, that it, especially this one, it is really satisfying. It is a really good fight. Um, there will be other ones to come in the future. There, In my opinion, there are better ones, but it's a really good one. Uh, one of the things I think this if this is your intro to the series, this is one of the one of the things that it gets right for the pod race. For me, I think that from your perspective, again, thinking about Fast and Furious, I had never seen a Fast and Furious. movie the first time I saw this film, so not a reference point for me. But it, that totally makes sense, right? And and I think that obviously you have this movie trying to explain why how a nine year old can compete with these people who are not even human, whose their reflexes are are trained differently, and they they use the chlorians and the force as a way to explain part of that out. And they, I mean, they use it for multiple purposes, right? But it conveniently explains why his reaction times are better than the average human and how he is so good at this. But ultimately if you zoom out and you think about it, it makes probably no sense that
0: a nine year old is as good as, you know, Sebulba or. Let me jump in and ask you all the question then. Do you think Anakin won the race on his own or do you think Qui-Gon somehow used the force and help helped him? Because I think you, you, that is a reasonable theory to posit based on the way that Qui-Gon does use the force. I mean, for example, to, he uses it to move the die when Watto is rolling the dice to see, you know, which one that, uh, that Qui-Gon is going to be able to claim if Anakin wins. Um, you know, do you think he had any part in Anakin winning the race?
1: Yes, but, but to me, that doesn't matter all that much because of the tinkering that Sebulba does before the race starts. So I'm not. I mean, y- yes, but also that that doesn't bother me at all. And I don't even think it's a weird thing. To, it, it, to me, it was just a weird thing to add. Um, and I don't feel either way about it, I guess. Jay, I don't know if you feel differently. No, I don't. OK, um, Scott, do you feel differently?
0: No, I don't. Um, cool. I, I just think it's. I, I. think it's something interesting to debate because, of course, we do see him trying to use his Jedi powers throughout the Tatooine sequence. You know, for for better or for worse. Obviously, he can't use a mind. He can't mind trick Watto because I'm a Toy dairy and Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. But you know, other times, um, he's a little bit more successful. So it is interesting to think about. But I also think, you know, what you say makes sense. That because he has such a high midi chlorian count, because he is, you know different, uh, than every other kid, his age, um, he's able to gain an advantage in the race that way. Uh, and it is a, a it is a thrilling sequence and I love Greg Proops voicing the announcer. So, uh, <laughs> shout out to Greg Proops. Yeah.
1: I, I just think that it's like, a, again, like I can understand the skepticism. And y- of course, yes. I mean, almost everything in the Star Wars takes a little bit of suspension and disbelief. So that's nothing unusual. But for me, and then the lightsaber duel, is, it's great. Uh, I think that maybe I'm less hot on Darth Maul than the two of you. I th- I've gotten to a point in my life where I've seen this many enough times where it's starting to kind of go back to something I was talking about. Like Darth Maul just starts to feel a little goofy to me. Like His, the, his, his whole aesthetic and his look just seems a little funny i don't find it scary or terrifying anymore uh maybe i'm just braver than the two no i'm kidding uh no i i just think i've got to the point where I, the impact is no longer the same of darth maul on me but the idea of it's really interesting right like it, it it just feels so on the nose now to me that like oh he's like a sith he's the devil he literally looks like the devil he has a, a double bladed red or double double-ended the uh, red lightsaber like it, it just feels even more on the nose than a lot of the things with the sith are in other movies and so uh now i i think i'm i've cooled off on my from
0: my original opinion probably the first time i saw this movie i will say i don't think the character is set up well at all like he literally i think he speaks like one or two lines in the entire movie and i don't i don't think they do a good job at all of establishing who this character is and maybe there's a reason for that and i'll i i do not want to say any more than that but um i do think that as a villain he's probably not uh he's definitely not as satisfying as some of the other characters which we will see in the star wars universe but including in this trilogy yeah he is bailed out by the fact that he does get a a, a pretty cool uh fight sequence at the end um so that's that's my opinion but okay let's move on now and talk about another uh you know huge aspect of the star wars universe which is of course the different planets and worlds that we are exposed to in this movie um There are really three that we get to see a bulk of in this movie. Of course, we have Naboo um, where Queen Amidullis's palace is and where a lot of the final battle is going on between the Gungans and the battle droids. Um, We have Coruscant, which is where the Jedi council meets. Um, And we also have Tatooine of course, where we are introduced to Anakin and uh, is his home planet where he lives with his mother. Um, Jay, what did you think about the way that um, any of these different planets were realized? Did the, uh, did the special effects, did the worlds really draw you in? Were they immersive or um, did you find them kind of goofy as well?
2: <laughs> for me, some of them were hits. Some of them were miss. You know, I don't think anything felt particularly goofy to me. And again, just reminding you that, you know, I'm coming in for the first time, uh, you know, trying to catch up on all the names and the backgrounds of who comes from where and what am I looking at. Um, Tatooine to me, you know, was the one that stood out the most. And that's maybe just because I, you know, could kind of feel and again from knowing some of the names i know realize like okay this is probably a pretty pivotal thing that's happening right now and you know getting to see the pod race and you know even learning little details like you know oh like you know this is a gambling culture like this is why they do it like things like that to me are really cool the scene where they're you know in the underwater city and we're getting to see a little bit of that world that felt kind of pointless to me You know, it it was kind of cool, I guess, but, you know, and then, you know, as they're, like, navigating away from the sea monsters, it was...
0: The gooberfish. The
2: gooberfish. You know, (laughs) that that felt a little bit more of a miss to me. It it just felt, it almost felt like, you know, you were trying trying to show me this world, and, like, I I appreciate that, but I kind of shrugged at the end of that whole sequence and was like, okay, like, I've seen this, but, you know, what's next?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a fair reaction. I don't think that the Gungan world is anything particularly inventive um, you know, especially compared to what we saw in Aquaman, which is a movie that I didn't like, but I think posits a far more spectacular uh, underwater universe. It's one of those
1: things that I really, I've really viewed the Gungan role as a missed opportunity, but then I also sit here and think about like, I'm watching this in 2019. This movie was made two decades ago. Very like, true. It's, like the technology is so different. And I don't even mean, cause I mean like I would also complain about this and I'm going to complain about the visual effects here in a second, probably uh, particularly for the end of the movie, but it's also important. Some like I was just trying to get a little perspective. Like th- this was cutting edge and viewed as a visually imaginative and stunning universe twenty years ago. And as as always is the case with visuals, they never seem
0: to age as well as well as you might think that they would. Yeah, no, I think I think it's definitely fair to think about the movie in that context. But I do think that Tatooine. I think you're right, Jay, is sort of the standout location that we see here. It it it, it has become sort of the archetypal uh, desert planet. I mean, Scott, when I was watching The Lion King the other night, there's a moment where uh, Simba and Nala are going through the desert, and I was like, this looks just like Tatooine. So uh, I think it's uh, they, they do a good job establishing it as an iconic location here, and they need to do that because, of course, it's going to play an important role in a lot of uh, the other movies that we're going to... Uh, discuss, uh, but I, I do like the palace setting of uh, of Naboo as well. I you know I like that first sort short little fight sequence when the Jedi's return to Naboo um, and they're sort of protecting Queen Amidala. They're sort of hurrying through the city uh, as the droids have arrived. Um, I do like that uh, sort of very uh, glossy almost. It k- kind of looks like a. I'm guessing maybe they filmed it like in the Middle East somewhere, like in a UAE country like that or something. Uh, It has that kind of feel to it. And I I did like that. And, uh, you know, we get to see it again in uh, that parade sequence at the final, uh, at the end of the movie. So, yeah, there's nothing that really jumps out to me uh, as far as these planets. I think they do a good job of establishing them. And, of course, we'll see a lot more of all three of these uh, in the movies to come. Scott, uh, do you want to bash on the effects now? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, no. For, first, all, I would say I think this this was filmed. I know I know Tatooine was filmed in the deserts of Tunisia. Okay. I haven't looked where the where Naboo is is set. I think that might just be on a set. I don't think that's on location.
0: Anyway. Okay, but it has that kind of feel to it. it sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, no, yeah. So staying with Naboo here, I think one of the things that I, I thought the visual effects for the most part in this movie were actually pretty good. And then one of the things that I was talking about on Letterbox that I mentioned that I noticed at the end of the movie, and maybe because it was this point, maybe I was getting a little bit bored, maybe I was getting a little bit tired, and I started to just notice a few of the things here and there. But some of these visual effects in like the final in like the battle scene between the droids and the gungans just look so rough and unfinished like it literally looks like they just like ran out of money or ran out of time to finish the effects. I don't know which it is. But to to me the it, it they're the, the visual effects were a bit of a letdown at the end because I thought for the most part, you know, the first hour and a half of the movie, I thought that the effects were really good. Uh, and I think that speaks to the settings. You know you talk about Tatooine being kind of the trademark desert planet and, you know, does desert planets uh, it won't be the last time we see a desert planet. Uh, it won't even be the last time. Uh, that we see Tatooine, which, of course, you already alluded to. But we'll see other desert planets in the Star Wars universe as well. The desert is something that is very common in the Star Wars universe. Uh, And so I think that this movie introduces you to that pretty well Um, and and really sets that as, you know, this type of planet, even though it might be scarce in resources, are really critical to a lot of those stories that are happening within the Star Wars universe. And, you know, Naboo is lush and gorgeous. And I kind of just wish that we spent a little bit more time there in some ways, because a lot of the time that, We spend on Naboo, especially in the early parts, is not at the palace and not in the city. In fact, very little time spent in the city, uh, but in the forest or underwater where uh, I'm a little bit less wild, maybe. And Coruscant, and as for I know we didn't really talk about Coruscant. Coruscant is, you know, you talk about things that are boring or undercooked in the movie. I think the entire sequence with Coruscant is, is probably probably the weakest in the film. Like it, it's I don't find the political aspect of this of this entry in the Star Wars franchise to be that interesting. And I think that it it, uh, it it lingers a little bit longer than maybe it should have, especially when I think there's a lot of promise and hype around getting to see Coruscant in the early parts of the movie. And I, I think that it doesn't quite live up to the expectations that it sets for itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like the Jedi Council room and stuff is I mean, that's cool. Obviously, that's that's iconic. But As far as like the political stuff that's going on, it does feel like uh, they are just throwing it in there because they have to hit certain plot points. For example, of course, we have to get Chancellor Palpatine to be the chancellor because he's going to have an important role in the movies to come. Uh, So we have to go through that whole, uh, you know, sequence in the Senate or whatever, where Chancellor Valorum gets thrown out um, and, and Chancellor Palpatine takes over um so yeah it it is a little bit transitional i don't think that's one of the strongest sequences in the movie and then i do agree with you about Nebu, like the the gungan battle i think just in general the this battle is kind of stupid because like the gungans would never be able to hold their own against the battle droid army like their weapons are literally spears and like the the little electric orbs or whatever that they throw at people and meanwhile the you know the the droid army has like basically machine processing soldiers like hundreds of thousands at a time and they all have you know laser blasters like they were they would have mowed down the gungans in a heartbeat i feel like so just the the fact that this battle is even happening at all is kind of ridiculous to me um and so yeah maybe the the effects probably uh played into my perception of that scene as well yeah, and I will say one thing is
1: that I, you know, I thought so highly of Avengers Infinity War, and then I realized they just stole the whole shield idea for
0: around uh, Wakanda just from this movie. They just
1: ripped <laughs> it straight out of Star Wars episode one. Who knew?
0: Of all the movies to use as your your touchstone, but uh okay, is there anything else we want to add about the story of this movie? You know, I think we've hit some of the high points um and and low points in terms of, you know, the political story, um, Anakin's backstory, which obviously makes up a lot of the movie. Um, the arc that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan go through. Jay, is there anything more you want to say about the plot and maybe how it all fits together, if there were some holes or uh, underdeveloped portions that stood out to you?
2: Well, quickly, if we're going to compare uh, things in the Star Wars universe to the Avengers movies, isn't the ending of Avengers 1 when the Chatari die all the exact same thing that happens when all the droids die, when the mothership gets destroyed? Scott, you would know better than I. <laughs> yes. Okay, just throwing that out there.
1: You know what, forget it guys. Let's scrap this whole series and let's just go through Marvel. Let's just do the MCU. <laughs> um. Nope.
2: No, I mean, yeah, I'm going to notice like, you know, I was like, oh wow, like that is exactly what happened at the end of Avengers, but anyway.
1: It's just it's just so it's so funny to, to 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 think of George Lucas's prequel trilogies as being IP that's worth stealing by anyone. I, I don't think that many people would would take that too
0: seriously. And I do love like the first moment when it gets when all the battle droids get shut down and Jar Jar just like tips over the one the battle droid that has been deactivated. I thought that was kind of hilarious.
2: Agreed. But well, just, you know, in, in terms of the story, it's like I said, like it just felt a little bit, you know, like the politics weren't terribly exciting. Like again, I tried to treat it as like okay, like you're setting me up to understand the conflict that maybe the the coming battles will stem from. I don't really know, but I'm not you know terribly enthralled by it. But overall, I think you know the story made sense. It you know I got from point A to point B pretty well. You know, you saying what you just said about uh, Palpatine's you know ascension to Supreme Chancellor being important for what comes later makes a little more sense now. Although I think I've, I've heard that name in association with some other names that we haven't met yet. So I guess I could have inferred that. This is all to say, I mean, I, I think it was a pretty good story. And, you know, just to go back to the uh, the opening point, I'll, I'll go with, you know, not great. I think it was, you know, good. Like, I, I'm definitely excited to see the next one.
0: Yeah, I think for me, like I've said, the, the strong point of the story is Anakin's backstory, is his origin story. I think they do do a nice job of, Uh, setting up the character from the beginning, you know, through that pod racing sequence uh, to the point where he's separated from his mother. Um, And of course that's an emotional scene and uh, we'll set up some stuff that we get again in later movies as a lot of this movie is. I think maybe that's why uh, the story feels a little bit clunky because there is so much exposition. There is so much they have to set up for the next movies to then follow through on. Um, But I do like what they did with Anakin's story and, you know, following through when they get to Coruscant and, Uh, Qui-Gon's sort of conflict with the Jedi Council because he wants to train um, Anakin I think that's really you know where that that point you you made Scott earlier about him being subversive comes in Um, I I totally agree with that I think the way that he sort of defies the Jedi Council in a way um, by you know saying he's going to train Anakin because you know he senses he senses something in Anakin even though the you know yoda is saying i sense great fear in you fear leads to anger and anger leads to hate um all of that um i think that sort of uh that conflict is something that we don't see in a lot of the other movies with any of the other jedi characters so i like yeah, it's that. it's why he it's why qui-gon's not on the jedi or not on the council Is because he won't listen to them <laughs> yeah uh scott anything else you want to say about the story
1: now, I, I think I've mostly said my bit on the story. Uh, there are parts of it that are stronger than others. Uh, I agree with both of you guys about it being exposition heavy uh, and probably just could have done either with a little bit less exposition or a more effective use of its exposition. But it it has a lot of ground to cover, right? Like if it's going to be the entry point to the franchise in terms of uh, you know the chronological order of things, then it, it has to allude to future things or, or i guess it it's, it has this unenviable task of being the entry point chronologically while also having the history of three of three movies that come after it already and so it, it's always i think it's always difficult to strike the balance right and uh, you know unsurprisingly it doesn't strike that balance right always and so there are parts that are very enjoyable you know you mentioned anakin's backstory uh, you mentioned the part pl- the parts about qui-gon And even Obi-Wan too, right? But then there are parts of the story that, yeah, you just really couldn't care less about are mundane and could have just as well happened in the background and not have bothered me too much.
0: Yeah, I I agree there. Um, Before we move into the wrap-up, I do want to ask, Jay, because you did just bring up the fact that you're excited for the next movie. Uh, Do you have any predictions about anything that you think is going to happen in the next movie or in the movies to come?
2: Good question. Um, You know, I, I think we'll maybe maybe not in the next movie maybe only get a glimpse but uh, maybe in the next couple movies start to get a glimpse of that fear inside of anakin um that you know is going to lead to worse things again i I, you know i know some things about how certain characters end up but i don't know when when or you don't have
1: to be coy about it you can just say what you like sure
2: so you know before he goes all evil you know we'll, we'll start to see how that builds perhaps in training with obi-wan i'm excited to see you know how obi-wan maybe either turns a blind eye to or tries to stoke some of that is darth maul really gone i mean no one's ever really gone right guys so it's is he gone okay yeah you know that that's all i've got for predictions at this point i mean i i'm, I'm excited to see you know obi-wan and anakin uh in the next movie and see how you know that training and essentially see you know how he you know rises and you know inevitably falls
0: yeah it, it would be nice if we actually get to see how anakin rises in attack of the clone all right that's scott, really what stop, happens, it. stop it stop it stop it stop it um no that <laughs> one
1: character that that's oh, not any
0: kind of spoiler
1: um but scott i mean sorry. it's already t- it's it's spoiling him because he's give,
0: you're giving him your thoughts on on the but next i already year. said this is my favorite prequel so i mean i think you know that i was gonna like the next one last but Yes, well, I also wish that you hadn't said that.
1: Anyway, I think there's one character that we didn't talk about that is on the villainous side, and we talked about Darth Maul, but we don't talk about who's above Darth Maul. Who is Darth Sidious? Uh, that character that gets alluded to as this sort of Sith master. You know, you have Yoda talking about, you know, there's always two and with the Sith. There's a the rule there's of two. A tri- yeah. yeah, rule of two. Exactly, a great podcast. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to get your guys' uh, thoughts quickly because obviously, you know, Darth Sidious is still alive and is – even I think Jay, you have to think that it's going to be an important character moving forward.
2: Sure. Um, I, I mean, I have my I have a guess based on things, but you know, let's I, hear it. I mean, it's Palpatine, isn't it? Like the guy reeks of evil. I mean, you know, we're not, obviously we're not going to say anything, sure. but uh, I mean that that'd be my guess. I mean, yeah, he just he reeks of evil. You know, he felt very like. I mean, it, it, you know, how is it that the guy who was pushing for the vote of no confidence, the guy who benefits most from the vote of no confidence, there's, there's a term for this that I'm forgetting, you know, basically like the guy who's pretending to be on the side of everybody, but then like ends up a politician. Sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a <senator.
1: laughs> well
2: played. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly my guess, you know, I mean, Darth Maul was certainly, you know, the, the lower of the two. And I, I think Palpatine will end up being this Darth Sidious you just mentioned. Um, that's actually not a name I'd heard before.
0: Yeah, it's it's the Emperor Darth Sidious. You know, you'll hear them referred to interchangeably.
2: Got that. I mean, yeah, and you know, now I know that that you know shadowy figure has a name.
1: Yeah. So, so, what did you think of the character in the movie, though? I mean, yes, it's nice to get the predictions, but just curious, like, how you feel. like did did it, did this character work? Did it seem like? Uh, I mean, I I could understand. I could I could foresee a complaint that he's someone who's like in the background, but you don't know. You don't really get anything about him. Like, he's someone who's like more uh teased than actually experienced and i wonder how you feel about that
2: sure i think that's a that's a fair way to characterize it but i don't know if i'd complain about it if that makes any sense like i definitely was like oh like yeah like you know why do i keep seeing this person but you know not actually get anything more on them other than just like you know shadowy puppet master in the background who's you know perhaps pulling some strings and all this stuff like yeah i mean i I get that, but I I guess maybe because I'm coming at it with the lens of like, you know, oh, there are many more of these movies that I can see at any time. You know, uh, it's not too much of a letdown to me that I'm like, oh, like, who is this? Like, you know, to me, it's like I could find out tonight before bed probably if I wanted to.
0: Yeah. um, I do love his line at the beginning of the movie, the first time we see him, where he really just freaking roasts Rune Hako and is like, viceroy i don't want this stunted slime in my sight ever again uh that's that's a good line but yeah he's kind of in the background here but i think he's sufficiently menacing yeah i mean he he
1: definitely fills the menacing category if if it's uh lacking uh, among other characters
0: like maul because you don't really get much uh much of, of any lines out of him All right, let's move into the wrap-up phase now, and I got three questions for you guys. Uh, Jay, starting with you, who's your MVP of the movie, your favorite character um, that you got, that you saw in The Phantom Menace?
2: I'll go ahead and give that to Ewan McGregor. Um, He might, I think he gets the tiebreaker over Liam Neeson, only because I'm just kind of excited to see where uh, he ends up going. I, I mean, I think they both gave fantastic performances, but ultimately, you know, I did, kind of get the sense from him that, you know, like, a, you know, you are a young Jedi, maybe on the edge of becoming ready uh, to be a knight. And, you know, I, I thought he, you know, kind of per, like walked that line really, really well. And again, I'm excited to hopefully see him in the next movie, right?
0: Yes, he is in the next movie can confirm. <laughs> uh, okay, Scott, how about you MVP?
2: Yeah, and I know I
1: already talked earlier in the podcast about how Ewan McGregor is the standout performance for me. But for the sake of being different, I will give Jake Lloyd a shout out because I didn't talk about him earlier. I think that he really is a, a great Anakin. Uh, we will see a new Anakin in the next movie, Jason. Unsurprising, the fact that 10 years have passed to... Uh, I will say that Jake Lloyd did not look, would not have looked, ten years older only uh, three years after this movie. So uh, they they did go with a different actor. So we won't be seeing little Jake again. But I think Jake does a great job. He does a he does a good job to, you know something that you talked about earlier, Scott, adding you know reminding you that this kid is still nine years old, right? You get the youthful uh, glee and something like the Padres, but you also get someone. Who's reacting appropriately to being thrust into a ridiculous situation when he's, of course, flying into space on the autopilot in the ship and having to, you know, take on some. Uh, I, sh- I shouldn't even say take on. He, like he, he has blindly stumbled into some responsibility here to help out, to help out the Naboo people and, and the people trying to take down the Trade Federation blockade. And as. Re- you know, ridiculous as that scene might seem, it's no more ridiculous than the Padres. The kid has the highest metachlorine count of all time. And so I just think he does a great job and I think he fits the role well, even even if some like toxic people, toxic Star Wars fans think that, you know, a nine year old shouldn't have been what was written into this movie. But a nine year old is what we got. And I think he plays a nine year old pretty well. Well, guys, I
0: think we're all dancing around the fact here that the best character in this movie is obviously Watto. Um, so of course I have to say Watto is the best character. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. Hey, Watto, Watto is a good character. I like Watto. He's he's a good character. There are people who think this character is a stereotype. I've never really understood that. Um, I do think he comes off a lot better than some of the other big, colorful characters in the movie, like Jar Jar, for example.
1: Well, I mean, also, I mean, we didn't even talk about this character either, but, you know, getting a first look at Jabba the Hutt.
0: Yeah, that is true. Um, More to come on him, though. Uh, But no, I'm going to go. I'm going to give my MVP to Qui-Gon for sure, um, since we haven't, uh, you know, since no one has given him that crown. uh, I I do love that they do a good job setting up this character, who he is, really what makes him tick uh, and laying the foundation for um the movies to come and you know again giving us a nice emotional moment there at the end when he does uh die at the hands of darth maul so good job liam neeson good job qui-gon really enjoy this character one of my favorite jedi characters honestly in the whole um in the whole universe so Uh, okay next question favorite scene or moment jay
2: well i'll I'll go back to what scott you said about you know my expectations would be finally seeing a star wars movie you know i was looking forward to an epic lightsaber battle at some point, and I definitely got one in the final battle sequence, so I'm gonna go ahead and give my favorite scene to that, again, it was pretty cool, and I know somewhere, uh, I think when the third trilogy began, I heard some joke about how they increased the number of lightsabers on the actual staff, if that's the right word, um, by one in each trilogy, and so I guess somewhere along the like way I should have remembered, there'd be a second you know like a double-edged lightsaber essentially and i didn't and when that happened i actually like sat up a little bit and was like oh shoot like that was super cool um
1: and again the fight sequence and they do it so well because you only see one of the you he only ignites half of the lightsaber in the first like when they first confront you know he could first confronts qui-gon on tatooine and so you don't know i mean it obviously looks like a really long uh lightsaber handle right in, in that first Time they interact, but then to have the 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 you know the shock factor of getting that other edge ignited in the final fight is really cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Scott, how about you? Favorite scene or moment? Yeah, for me,
1: you know, there's just one iconic line and one only that will stick with you by the end of this movie, and it's jump ja ja jump. <laughs> uh, no, that's not not memorable for all the wrong reasons, baby. Um, and no, I think that it's hard to go a different direction than the lightsaber sequence but uh i do have a scene that's uh more more endearing to me than that and that is the podrace sequence i think that it, it you know it's it's a bit of a long bit but i think that it's one of those things where it, it, there are moments where tattooing as much as i like it it's hot you have to admit that it's exposition heavy and so the podrace just feels like a breath of fresh air for a movie that to that point hadn't had too much quote-unquote action and yeah, this isn't a te- you know by a by the books action sequence. in has been the form of a race, but you know you do get the competitive, uh you know hard edged world of pod racing on Tatooine, and it's a very serious business. I think in some ways you learn more about Tatooine in the pod race itself than you do throughout the rest of that sequence because a lot of time that you spend on Tatooine you're just learning about Anakin and you're learning about his family, uh, and so I think that the pod race is a lens into Tatooine society that you don't get in other ways and. Besides that, it's also really cool. So I I just love that pod race sequence.
0: For the sake of being different, because I think y'all have highlighted my two favorite scenes, I will talk about, uh, I love, you know, following through on the pod race at the end when Anakin's uh, pilot skills um, comes in handy, come in handy in that final battle um, and particularly love the part where he flies his his ship right into the enemy's hangar and sits there and just starts like (laughs) blowing away the droids because it reminds me of exactly what I would do on Star Wars Battlefront during the space battles, I would always just like fly my ship right into the enemy's base and then sit there and and uh, you know act as a wrecking crew as all of the other enemy soldiers started shooting at me. So some nice nostalgic moments there for me. Um, so I'll, I'll highlight that. I do enjoy that whole uh, sequence with Anakin um, saving, uh, you know, helping helping out the the Gungans on the ground by destroying that mothership. Okay, guys, last question: uh, What would you give this movie out of ten? 100-point uh, scale. Jay, uh, what's your score for The Phantom Menace?
2: Oh, boy. Um, going first. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, i gone back and forth a little bit. Again, I, I thought it was... Pr- I've, got, I've said about pretty good. Not great. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably going to give this movie a 7.2. I'm giving it a 6.2.
0: 7.8. Not surprising that I'm the highest one out of us. I don't think... But I do think it is solid and it is a movie that I did not mind sitting down to rewatch at all. Um, I I do enjoy the movie a good bit and uh, a a great bit more than most Star Wars fans. All right, guys. Well, that should just about do it, I think, for our first episode of the Star Wars Countdown. Uh, We hope you have enjoyed uh, the first installment of this series and that you you will continue to join us as we work our way through the next nine theatrically released live-action Star Wars movies. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, of course, don't forget to check out uh, our other stuff right here in this same feed, um, whether it's Champ's Lunch, our Schmodown podcast, or, of course, our mainline, Some Like It Scott podcast. We have episodes of that coming out every single week. Um, so check right here in that same feed. And, of course, don't forget about our Patreon page as well, patreon.com slash Go You can go there and support us at a number of different tiers. And, of course, don't forget to rate Uh, review and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And we hope you'll be back next time for our next Star Wars Countdown episode in which, of course, we will be talking about Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. Uh, But until then, I'm Scott Harvey for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Thank you for listening.